The Golden Homers are brought to you by Generations Barbershop, a Notre Dame-themed barbershop that has been keeping Irish fans looking good since 1930. Brent and Gill are located on Lincoln Way East in Mishawaka, Indiana. Open 8 to 5 and by appointment, call or text Brent at 574-250-0622. That's 574-250-0622. Low snap, picked it up, takes an end zone shot, and fighting. McKinley goes up and gets it, and it is a touchdown. Welcome back to another episode of the Golden Homers Podcast with your hosts, Mason Plummer and Nathan Erbach. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Golden Homers Podcast. In this episode, we are rehashing a wild week of commitments and welcoming on a special guest to the show. Some of you may have heard of him. We have Kyle Kelly of Rivals and Inside ND Sports. Kyle has been out at fall camp this past weekend, and we know he has some good thoughts on what he has seen so far. And as always, we'd love to bring you guys that recruiting scoop, and we know Kyle has plenty to share on that end of things. How will Andy finish off the 2023 class? And of course, what's going on in the class of 2024? Lastly, one of our favorite segments is back, and we will discuss some fun over-unders with you guys. I'm Nathan Erbach. With me, as always, is Mason Plummer. Let's get after it. What's going on, everyone? Nathan Erbach here, as always, with my co-host, Mason Plummer. You're listening to the Golden Homers podcast. As I mentioned in our intro, we do have a special guest today in Kyle Kelly over at, uh, what is it, Inside ND Sports, I think is the new, the new name of Rivals. I'm um, started there recently here. Um, first of all, Mason, what's going on with you? How's your week been? Hey, going well so far. Uh, excited to recap uh, an exciting week of Notre Dame recruiting action. You know, four, four days, four commits. Doesn't get much better than that. Awesome. Awesome. And as promised, we have Kyle Kelly on. Kyle, what's going on, man? Not a whole lot. Today's actually my day off, but I'm happy to be enjoy, uh, joining you guys to talk some Notre Dame football and Notre Dame football recor- uh, recruiting. Do they have days great. off in this industry? <laughs> Hardly. My day off is spent uh, writing this master's project, so not so much a day off for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, people don't know, Kyle, you're working on your your master's at Northwestern, so good stuff there. And, um, you know, obviously, you've been on, the, been on the Notre Dame beat only for a few months now, but you've been great, a great ad, I think, to the industry. Um, and if people don't know, previously to that, you were with Ohio State, you were working uh, kind of on the beat with Ohio State. So sort of interesting storylines there. We could probably talk about that a little bit in the podcast because you, you're going to know they're, they're uh, recruiting a little bit more than maybe some people do um, in the Notre Dame circle. And then also you'll know their roster um, a little bit more. And I think if I'm not mistaken, you're sort of from that area as well. So that, that probably helps too. So, um, but yeah, so I mean, without, I, I think we probably have to start this out with the four commitments that Notre Dame received. Um, this past weekend if we could do this every weekend that would be awesome Um, but Thursday Notre Dame added uh, four-star linebacker Jaden Osbury out of essentially LSU's campus (laughs) Um, that was a guy that I think has been trending to Notre Dame for a while now so no surprise there Um, same thing with Ben Minnick um, the day after four-star three-star depending on what site you're on uh, safety out of the Ohio area Um, next day after that Dylan Edwards who was a commit to Kansas State, I think just a month previously, um, decommitted after a, a visit to Notre Dame. Um, maybe the fastest kid in the entire class. I mean, maybe maybe Notre Dame has the two fastest kids in the entire class with Michael Bell and Dylan Edwards. Uh, I think it's certainly um, 
you know, something to discuss there. Uh, but he committed on Saturday. And then some, maybe not a surprise to the three of us. Um, I know Mason and myself weren't 100% sure that Peter Jones was going to be committing on Sunday, but we knew it was probably happening soon. Um, but a 2024 offensive lineman, I think he's probably a guard, but nonetheless a, a four-star guy um, and, and a really talented player out of the state of Pennsylvania commits on Sunday. So, Kyle, obviously you're on the you're in the you're talking to these kids. You know, you you have a a pretty good idea of what's going on in the Notre Dame recruiting circle. What what should Notre Dame expect out of this out of these guys, and then maybe moving forward in the 2023 class? <clears throat> Yeah, I think the biggest thing coming out of uh, this past weekend was speed. I know you mentioned uh, Micah Bell, who's also got, you know, some blazing speed as well. Could be a guy that could compete with uh, Dylan Edwards with that, like, 4-3-5 laser time 40 at the UA camp uh, down in IMG in uh, July. But, uh, I mean, the same thing goes with uh, Ben Minnick. <laughs> Tyler James and I, my, uh, my boss slash publisher – Notre Dame have been going back and forth the last couple of days trying to nail down uh, Ben Minnick's exact 100 meter time <laughs> in track and field because he ran um, a 10-4-7 win aided uh, 100 meter dash and then he also uh, clocked a 10.77 100 meter uh, dash in track and field without wind. Either way, um, I don't know a ton about track and field. I covered it when I was at John Carroll University, but I, I know enough to, to know both those times were fast, super fast. And uh, between Minnick and uh, Dylan Edwards, those are two guys that are going to be super, super fast, blazing type guys on the, on the Notre Dame roster. I think those two types of guys are the type of players that can come in and contribute on uh, special teams early. And just kind of bringing this full circle with Micah Bell, even though he committed um, on July 1st, I, I think it's relevant to this conversation because he's super fast. But one thing that Micah Bell really emphasized to me every single time I talked to him was that Notre Dame is also recruiting him on special teams. And I never got the opportunity to ask him what he meant by special teams but I'd imagine a kick returner or punt returner with that type of speed. I believe Micah Bell was a 10-4-1 guy in the 100 meter down in Texas, and that uh, was without wind. And uh, I, I imagine with guys like Ben Minnick and uh, Dylan Edwards, they'll also have those types of roles on special teams. And I, the versatility aspect of those guys is, is also big. I mean, on defense, Ben Minnick's probably just going to play safety um, but he'll he'll be able to contribute a lot on special teams. But with Dylan Edwards, the reason they went after this guy was his versatility on offense. He he can play out of the backfield, but he's probably best for checks at the next level as a slot receiver type guy. Uh, I think the one thing he harped on when I talked to him was Notre Dame really wants to get him the ball in space and be able to make plays. And I, I think just watching some of his tape with his size right now, that's going to be um, the best way to, to utilize him. But uh, with the other guys, I know Jane Osbury is another quick guy as well, 4-4, four, 4-5 four, four, guy. That was a not only a huge addition to the Notre Dame defense, but more so a massive recruiting win for Marcus Freeman, um, Al Golden, and also Al Washington on the recruiting trail. That was, uh, that was a big, big win with uh, – Osbury's brother, Austin, going to Auburn, his dad being an LSU legacy. As you mentioned, 
uh, that school is essentially right on LSU's campus. It's called University Lab School in Baton Rouge. Um, it did, I mean, Texas, or excuse me, LSU is right in his backyard. And then the surprise commitment coming yesterday, Peter Jones, a 2024 offensive lineman. Rivals has him rated as a top 100 guy already. Um, I talked to our uh, staff this week. It sounded like he's even potentially going to be getting a bump. Uh, he's got really high upside coming to Notre Dame and like five-star type potential. So overall, a, a, a ginormous recruiting weekend for Notre Dame. And now like the question becomes where, where, when and where and who are going to be the next commits because they've been on absolute, absolute a tear on the recruiting trail this entire summer. So Kyle, one guy I wanted to hear more about was Jones because the other three were not necessarily known, but projected, right? They dropped their dates. It was kind of known they were going to be committing to Notre Dame. Um, I haven't delved delve too deep into Jones. Nathan mentioned that he thinks he'll be an interior guy. Is that what you see in his game? So uh, when we evaluate guys, like <laughs> I joke with Nathan and uh, Danny Cunningham, avid listener of the show all the time time that sometimes I don't necessarily feel comfortable projecting guys to the next level um, because that's not at my expertise but I will say that as far as rivals uh, goes we're evaluating him as an offensive guard um, Peter told me that he can play basically either guard or tackle at Notre Dame um, and I'll just read you Adam Friedman's evaluation of him when I, I talked to Adam uh, earlier this week uh, rivals. He gave a, a good rundown on what to expect with Jones coming to Notre Dame. Uh, Friedman said Peter's an outstanding offensive lineman with many of the physical tools you look for at the high school level. He has a great frame. He's a super physical player that plays until the echo of the whistle. He has good flexibility in his hips, play low and drive defenders off the ball. He's not overly experienced as a pass blocker and that's where you'll see most of the learning curve coming to play at the next level. But he has a chance to become one of the top players in the class when all is said and done. He has that type of ceiling. So although that doesn't give much clarity on the offensive tackle and offensive guard um, spot, but uh, right now, I mean, he, he's 6'5", 290, plenty of time to grow. He, he looks a little bit younger in the face, so I could see him adding a couple inches and a little bit of weight. But as of right now, Rivals projects him as an offensive guard at the next level. And I know once these guys get to college, they have the versatility to play both on the interior, exterior, the offensive line. And I think it's important to note as well. I mean, with Harry, he stands specifically as the Notre Dame or back as Notre Dame's offensive line coach. He's super big on just playing the, the best five guys. That's always been his, his mantra as a, as an, you know, as a, an offensive line coach. I mean, you saw a guy like Quentin Nelson who very easily could have been a, a top tier offensive tackle and, you know, but he became an elite offensive uh, offensive guard. And obviously he's already kind of on pace to have a Hall of Fame career um, at the NFL. I mean, you saw a guy like Zach Martin, you know, play offensive tackle at Notre Dame, moved inside to guard at, at the um, at the, the NFL level. So, I mean, whether or not Peter Peter Jones plays, you know, left tackle, right tackle, guard center, whatever it may be. He's probably going to be a pretty good one. And and I think. Uh, you know, a big win uh, for the 2024 class and, and kind of continuing that offensive line you um, sure. of sorts. So, um, Kyle, anything kind of, I mean, obviously we, we just mentioned 2023 class, probably only a few spots left. I mean, seemingly, you know, hopefully you don't lose any guys. I mean, which has sort of been, the, I think, the worry <laughs> from Notre Dame fans here and their two top guys are, are visiting or two of their top guys, I should say, are visiting other places 
you know, there's certainly been some smoke around um, Keon Keeley in Alabama and then Peyton Bowen with uh, Texas A&M in Oklahoma. But, uh, you know, so assuming those guys stick, obviously there's only a few spots left. If those guys leave, there might be some guys that come into the fold later on in the process that the, the staff is evaluating. Where do you kind of see that? Where do you kind of see the class ending up? Yeah, so I think right now they are at uh, 21 or 22. I have to pull up my list. But, I mean, this class is pretty much wrapped up for the most part. I mean, there's only a couple of holes. Um, yeah, oh, so actually they're at 23 now. And uh, some of the holes that they have left is obviously they need a quarterback. Everyone knows that. And even though they added Dylan Edwards, um, they still would like to uh, get Jeremiah Love at running back. But if they don't get Love, I don't see a scenario where they pursue another running back at this point. Um, you know, also at Washington, the defensive staff is considering the possibility of adding a fifth defensive lineman. Now, their communication to us, and it seems like to other reporters on the Notre Dame beat, is that fifth offensive lineman has nothing to do with the possibility of Keon Keeley decommitting. However, just looking at it from a, uh, I guess, logical perspective, I mean, it, it makes a ton of sense for Notre Dame to go after a fifth uh, defensive lineman for insurance for Keon Keeley. And I think with the two guys that they targeted, uh, Blake Purchase and Caleb Herring, are, are both pass rush guys that certainly not Keon Keeley's, but would maybe play a similar type of role in the class. And I, and I think the one, um, the big question mark right now is what Notre Dame does uh, as far as expanding the wide receivers board. I obviously Ronan Hannafin was the guy for a long time. And especially this summer in Notre Dame felt like uh, they were in a really good spot coming out of his official visit at the beginning of June. I think the expectation was, that he would end up in the class. And he also had the versatility to play defense as well. But uh, Ronan wants to play wide receiver at the next level. And that's why I think Clemson has become such a big player for him because not only is he the top wide receiver target on their board, he is their only wide receiver target. They have Chris Vizina in that class. And if I'm not mistaken, they don't have any wide receivers committed. Uh, Nathaniel Joseph flipped to Miami they don't have any receivers for their top quarterback. And I think just that is, I mean, you, you look at the numbers, obviously Notre Dame's wide receiver room is pretty light right now, but they have three super talented guys coming in, whereas Clemson has absolutely nobody. And that's why I think Ronan Hannafin is starting to trend towards Clemson. I think he's just having a difficult time possibly telling Notre Dame no. I, I think that he really saw Notre Dame uh, as a leader and the fit for him throughout this entire process. But I mean, who wouldn't want to go to Clemson and be the star guy if you had that opportunity? I think it's a tough, tough thing to turn down. Um, but as far as for the remainder of the class, that's where I kind of see seen things heading, um, barring at any decommitments. And I mean, I've only be, been recovering, uh, recruiting for about two years now. Obviously, I've only done it from a Notre Dame perspective for a couple months, but I've just been really impressed that Notre Dame already has 23 commits in the class and that all signs are, are pointing to the majority of these guys signing in December. I mean, I've, I've just been curious to see if that's like typical to have no, have, you know, that many guys wrapped up this early, whereas like, you know, teams like Texas A&M and Georgia and even Ohio state on the defensive side are hitting a major lull and they're having a lot of time, a uh, difficult time adding guys to the class. And I mean, that also brings up um, some concern as well with Notre Dame having these guys early and other schools trailing behind 
on the opportunity for those guys to flip to other schools over the next few months. Gotcha. And Kyle, I know that you're obviously very focused on what Notre Dame is doing, but I'm sure aware of what's going on around the country as well, as you kind of just mentioned. I wasn't aware that Clemson didn't have a receiver commit in this class. You mentioned that being a big selling point for Infant. Do you have any idea or insight into why that is? You know, you mentioned the one guy flipped, but, you know, Clemson usually finishing the top top three, top five in national recruiting. Have you heard any reason why they're struggling to recruit the receiver position? Not exactly, but the one thing that is really weird about Clemson is they typically don't offer a ton of guys in the class. I think they've offered about anywhere from 90 to 100 guys um, in the 23 class, and they kind of keep their their offers uh, super light, and I think that's something you heard Brent Venables, the new Oklahoma head coach, talk about in a recent uh, news conference talking about uh, – I about players flipping and everything. And, you know, I think that at Clemson, their approach was they're only going to recruit and target so many, so many guys. And they, they've just had a bunch of weird policies there. Like they don't offer guys until uh, June 1st of their incoming junior year. So like all the 2024 guys, for example, none of them got offered um, until June 1st. The only guy that actually got an offer beforehand was Sammy Brown, the linebacker out of Georgia, who's a super talented player. And he, he got, I mean, he, he was a complete anomaly. And the other thing Clemson has done a little bit differently is in terms of their official visits, they only let guys officially visit on game days. And I'm pretty sure they changed their stance on that this summer as well. They're trying to evolve, but I mean, the main thing with wide receivers, they don't really offer a lot of guys. I'm looking at um, the amount of wide receivers they've offered in the 2023 class. And so far, I mean, they only offered six. Here are the six guys. Brandon Ennis, Ohio State. Noah Rogers, Ohio State. Nathaniel Joseph went to Miami. Tyler Williams, who has Clemson's top schools, was trending to Georgia. Kristen Hamilton, who chose North Carolina, and uh, Noble Johnson, who is a uh, top three, 300 sort of player uh, that committed to Clemson. So those are the six like wide receiver positional guys that they offer. Now, Ronan Hannafin is being recruited as an athlete with the app, uh, the ability to play wide receiver. But I think with Clemson, like obviously I don't have a ton of insight on what they're doing there, but just from the outside looking in, they just really don't target a whole lot of players. Yeah, I think it's fair to say they've kind of always done that. Uh, they have a very Stanford-like approach, I think, almost to their to their recruiting and, you know, to a similar aspect. I think Notre Dame does kind of as well. They do offer, you know, a decent amount of guys, but certainly not on the level of, uh, of some other programs. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's certainly interesting. And, and to answer your question, Kyle, earlier about if Notre Dame typically has kind of their class um, wrapped up, um, pretty quickly. That's sort of been a trend over the last few years. Um, I don't know the reason behind it per se. I mean, it's kind of the opposite of what Clemson likes to do where they like to get guys on campus for a game day visit um, for, for their officials. Notre Dame has sort of been the opposite. Once they started allowing spring visits, they were huge on getting guys on campus. And I think we all know as Notre Dame people here, they know if they can get you on campus, there's a good shot of getting you committed because you either like Notre Dame or you don't. And if you get on campus and you like Notre Dame, a lot of kids want to commit almost on the spot. And it's not saying that other campuses are worse or better or, or whatever it may be, but it just seemed there's just 
this is this trend with Notre Dame where if they get their top targets on, on campus, they, they end up there. And I think that's where Notre Dame comes in and they, they get these guys really early. And it's why the last couple of years, I think this year is a little bit different because it's still training that way going into the season. Last couple of years, they have had that number one or number two or number three ranked class. And it ends up number eight or nine or 10 at the end of the year because they don't have all those top guys. They just have more guys than everybody else. Again, I think this year is a little different. Um, want to kind of steer this steer this conversation a little bit differently. Now, you were on campus at Notre Dame the last uh, couple of days. I think it was Friday, Saturday, if I'm not mistake, mistaken. You were there for fall camp. What were some of your early impressions, like uh, both offensive, defensively? Well, what should we kind of be looking out for this year, or just kind of moving forward in in, in fall camp overall? Yeah, so uh, I guess my biggest observation was how hot it was. Now I know Nathan, you're in Las Vegas, so you have the dry heat out there. But uh, in South Bend, it was super humid. I mean, I was dripping in sweat. I'm a big sweater <laughs> myself. But, I mean, those guys were absolutely drenched. They were working super hard. But the reason I mention that is because there were a couple guys that weren't able to finish practice. And uh, the two guys that Marcus Freeman noted in his news conference on Friday were uh, Zeke Carell and Blake Fisher. Both those guys um, – they hung around for practice, but they didn't have their helmets on or um, pads or anything like that. They, they couldn't handle the heat. And Marcus Freeman more or less called those guys out on, uh, on Friday that, you know, whatever, basically I'm paraphrasing here, but said, whatever those guys got to do to finish practice, like, you know, they got to do it. And I, I think that Marcus Freeman feels uh, a lot of pressure heading into week one, uh, against Ohio State obviously that's a uh, ginormous game I don't have to give the reasons why and really from day one on Friday they they hit the ground running and we were fortunate to be able to view that full full session on Friday uh, whereas Saturday we were only allowed to see the first five periods um, they also practiced on uh, I don't know for sure if they practiced on Sunday I saw some pictures and video going out, but no media was allowed. And they allowed the media back on Monday for the first five periods, but I was not able to make it. I'm here in Chicago, but just from the uh, first two days, um, I, I think the one thing that kind of caught my eye was um, the quarterback bot battle. Of course. Um, I, I think everyone expects Tyler Buckner at this, uh, at this rate. I, I think that uh, just looking at the way they structured their drills and some of the periods that, I, I didn't really write this down or pay too close attention, but this was just something I noticed that Tyler Buckner was pretty much going first in a lot of the drills. Um, he was pretty much going first in a lot of the team, team periods as well. Um, like I said, we didn't have the opportunity to see the full practice on uh, Saturday. So I'm not sure if Drew Pine um, went first in a lot of the team drills then, but I mean, Notre Dame knew then media was going to be there for all day Friday. And, you know, Buckner got a lot of like the, the first crack at some of those things. And Tommy Reese tried to downplay it a little bit is uh, press conference on Saturday saying that, you know, it doesn't really matter in individual drills who goes first. And I actually noticed uh, Buckner and Drew Pine doing rock, paper, scissors to decide at one point who goes first. So I, I, guess you can't really read too much into that but I think everyone expects um, Buckner to be the starting quarterback and I think just listening to Drew Pine he knows he has a chip on his shoulder 
Uh, he was a little edgy in his press conference on Saturday. Uh, but the quarterback battle is one thing that that caught my eye. And, you know, growing up, I was I always played offense. I was an offensive lineman. I'm not going to pretend like I was any good at football, but I naturally I just tend to pay attention more to the offense as a result of that. Um, I wanted to watch the running backs, especially to see how Logan Diggs was progressing. Um, I mean, more or less, that guy was pretty much at full go other than having a red jersey. And there was some film of him today. Uh, of him barreling through, um, I, I don't know exactly what the type of equipment are, but there's a bunch of barrels hanging down from a, I don't know, a platform, I guess. And he ran right through him, lowered his shoulder, didn't seem to be wincing at all. And he's pretty much looked full go, full go. And Marcus Freeman basically acted like it should be expected that he plays week one. Um, and then also Audric SMA looks, looks great been really impressed with him. I think that with guys like Chris Tyree and then of course, Logan Diggs also in that running back room that um, Audrick SMA could be overlooked at some, some points, but I think he is going to have a, a monster year. I would not, I would not want to tackle that, that guy. Um, and and other, other point, I guess that I kind of stuck out to me was a wide receivers, Avery Davis. I think you can expect him to be a hundred percent and, uh, no snap count issues or anything. Uh, week one against Ohio State, I mean, that's just me speculating. Marcus Freeman made it sound like he, he's going to be fully available. And just looking at him during camp, he has not sat, at, sat out in any of the drills. Or, I mean, he's pretty much been a full participant. It's a sleeve on his knee, and that's about it. But otherwise, I think that he should be uh, in full go. But uh, I guess summarizing this thought, I mean, there's a lot to unpack here with this question. But on defense, I think that those guys um, uh, look pretty good here under fir first-year uh, defensive coordinator Al Goldman. Al Washington has a lot to work with on that defensive line. Isaiah Fosky looks tremendous. Uh, I've been impressed with Riley Mills. He's looked really good. Uh, the linebackers, I mean, they have a ton of options there. And in the, uh, the secondary, I think adding the, you know, Brandon Joseph, You've really seen him uh, take on a, a leadership role in that secondary. I think they, there's high expectations for him, and rightfully so. DJ uh, Brown's ha had an interception on uh, Friday. He's a guy that always stood out to the in the spring to me when I watched him. And uh, freshman Jaden Mickey seems to be coming along and progressing super well at cornerback. I don't expect him to start week one against Ohio State, but I think that he could see some significant playing time as the, the year progresses. Uh, so, so that is my super long-winded answer on kind of some of the observations and takeaways through the first two days of camp that I've seen. Hey, it's Nathan from the Golden Homers here to tell you about meetupvegas.com. Want to eat the same quality meats that the great chefs in Las Vegas use? I got the hookup for you. Delivered straight to your front door, meetupvegas.com offers steaks, pork chops, premium chicken breasts, prime rib, you name it. Check out meetupvegas.com and use code IRISH10 at checkout to receive $10 off your order. So, Kyle, one guy you didn't mention I really wanted to hear about that's getting a little bit of attention is Tobias Merriweather. He's going to have to play some sort of role this season. He looks bigger than in, I anticipated. I didn't get to see him in person like you did, obviously. But just in the pictures and videos I've seen, he looks bigger. I knew he was going to be lengthy, but he looks almost stockier than I than anticipated. Everything I read about him was that he was just bone skinny, but he looks really impressive to me. What were your kind of impressions of him? 
Yeah. So uh, Tobias Merriweather is one guy I've tried to pay attention to a lot just because of the, the nature of that wide receiver room and the opportunity for him to play early on. And I'm with you. I, I mean, he is just comparing him to some of the other wide receivers a little bit has a thinner frame at um, this point, but I, I'm just looking at uh, what we have enlisted as on rivals. I cannot remember if this is uh, totally updated, but yeah, I, I believe it is six, four, 198 pounds. So I mean, pretty good for uh, an incoming freshman, I guess at this point. Uh, in the in the preseason hanging into to week one against Ohio State now during camp I know it'll be really important for him to hold that type of weight and you know he's been going last in a lot of the drills I don't think that's a surprise being that he is by far one of the newest guys there um, I, in the first two practices I didn't I mean I can, I guess I can only base it off the the first practice because that's when we saw like the red zone at periods and the uh, also some of the other uh, team sessions. I didn't really see Tobias Merriweather a ton. Now he was getting some, some reps uh, just because of the, uh, the lack of depth in that wide receivers room. But um, I think Marcus Freeman kind of singled him out on Friday and some of these other freshmen that, you know, they, they're going to have the opportunity to, to play early, early on in the season. And, you know, just looking at him throughout the last two practices, I think that he's still a young guy. He's still coming along, but you can definitely see his athleticism. You, you can see the type of talent that is there. Um, I know Notre Dame posted a, a clip earlier today of him making a pretty special catch um, it, over uh, another young quarterback, cornerback, I think it was Philip Riley. But, uh, yeah, I mean, overall, he, he's young, you know, it. And um, I don't really have a ton of expectations for him, honestly, just because uh, he is going last in a lot of these drills. But I know the wide receiver room is what it is. But I think just the early first impressions of him uh, so far of from what I've seen, I think there's a lot to like. I think the other interesting part about it is yeah, I, I was listening to a report. I think it was off Irish Illustrated the other day. And, you know, you obviously have Avery Davis, who looks like he's going to be the, the starter in the slot, which most people expected if he's healthy. Obviously, Lorenzo Styles is going to be the starter on the field or at, at the field position. And I, I think those two are pretty locked in. You know, and then I think there was this assumption that because Braden Lindsay is a fifth-year guy coming back, that, you know, he's automatically a starter or that if Joe Wilkins ends up healthy, he's kind of automatically a starter. But you're seeing Jaden Thomas – um, a redshirt freshman kind of play that role right now as the third guy, or at least in that first um, that first day of camp. And I think it's partly because they want you know a bigger a bigger player you know in the boundary area. You know, so you have a guy like Jaden Thomas. Obviously, Deion Colsey is there as well. You know, certainly Tobias Merriweather, who's you know six four, almost six five, even um, can can play that area as well. So they mentioned it as Braden Lindsay's almost kind of like a three A type. You know, he's going to be on the field a lot, but it is interesting to, to kind of get this perspective from, you know, guys that have been at fall camp already that it looks like Jaden Thomas specifically, you know, and then maybe Tobias Merriweather and Deion Colsey as the year goes on, Joe Wilkins, if he's able to come back, you know, all of these guys are going to get in there and, and play a lot. And then if you want to throw in a guy like Eli Raritan and, um, 
you know, the other tight ends that are, that have been on campus for a few years now, and um, maybe Holden Stace as well. Um, you know, I think the tight ends are going to get involved in the passing game as well, obviously on top of Michael Mayer. Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned um, Jaden Thomas because he's been one of the standouts through the first two days. Now, we didn't really get to see much of him on Saturday because he was working on the side. But on Friday, you know, he made a, a big impression. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe uh, he's Tyler Buckner's roommate. So uh, those two guys are already developing a, a strong connection. And Tyler Buckner, I believe, kind of pointed him out as a guy that has looked uh, really good through camp so far. Actually, Buckner pointed out uh, a lot of the freshmen as well. But uh, just in the spring, I mean, I only went to one practice during the spring, and um, I wasn't overly optimistic about the type of potential uh, that we could see from Jaden Thomas. But I think things have uh, really changed going here in the, in the summer. I mean, he was pretty much a – in the spotlight all day on Friday. And I think that there, there's some expectations for him now going in to week one against Ohio state. I think he's going to have a lot of opportunities just because, uh, I mean, the wide receiver room is what it is, but I'm kind of in agreement right now with uh, being like that three, a type guy. I think that's what kind of picked up on so far throughout the early portion of preseason camp. But I think like, it's really interesting with that Buckner and Jane Thomas um, connection. Like you try not to read too much into them being roommates and stuff, but I think like little things like that may matter. Like, I mean, Buckner is most likely going to be early starting quarterback here um, in the season. Doesn't have a ton of experience. And then, Hey, the guy's rooming with the guy he seems to like during practice is Jaden Thomas. So I think you can expect him to have, um, a, a big, big role early on in the season, at, at least to start things off. And Mason and I mentioned this in our podcast last week as well. There's always like some surprise in fall camp and the kid ends up being a pretty productive player for Notre Dame. I mean, a couple of years ago, it's Kyron Williams, you know, who didn't really have a role as a freshman and then he turned into a, a, a dude. Um, you mentioned that Jaden Thomas didn't really stick out in the spring per se, but you had guys like Te um, uh, Tevon Coney and, and Asmar Bilal essentially get called out by Clark Lee, you know, when they were in the spring and then they turned in productive seasons in their final couple of years at, at Notre Dame. And so I, maybe Jaden Thomas is that kid that just, you know, maybe just does all the little things right. Like you said, has a connection with the quarterback and, and, and turns into something special. Sort of leading into that, we've mentioned a lot of the freshmen. We've mentioned some, you know, breakout type of stuff. Wanted to end this with our, our, our traditional over-under. Um, Mason's going to kind of take that over here for us, but, uh, but Mason, go ahead. And I think this will be pretty fun. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to hit on was, you know, I think it's an interesting question on multiple levels is, you know, how many guys does Notre Dame have left to recruit? How many spots do they have left, but potentially also some decommits. So Kyle, I'm going to pose this question to you over under 26 total commitments or signings, I guess, for Notre Dame in this 2023 cycle. Yeah, I'm definitely going to go with under and I'm not, that's just because of my confidence and Payne Bone and Keon Keeley sticking at this point. I mean, Notre Dame saying all the right things. Those guys are saying all the right things. But, I mean, my gut feeling just tells me that Keon's probably going to end up elsewhere. I mean, Payne's a little bit different. But I, I guess if I had to, to bet on it, I'd probably say Payton ends up elsewhere as well. But like I said, I mean, they haven't decommitted yet. Um, 
you know, and Peyton said that he wants to wrap up things completely before the start of the season. So that may work in favor of Notre Dame there. But I mean, 26 and a half would put Notre Dame at 27. And I, I definitely see, see the under, I think even three commitments, three additional commitments right now would be a little bit surprising just because I'm so p- pessimistic at where they're at at quarterback right now and some of the other positions. I'm in the same boat there. I think I, uh, whether they get commit decommitments or not, you know, they're at 23. I think there's a good bet to get maybe two more. Let's just say they get two more, a wide receiver and a quarterback. And, you know, that, that makes 25, a couple commitments in there. And then all of a sudden you try to replace those guys with, with, with players and you're back at around 25. So I think I'm at under two Mason. What about yourself? I think, yeah, I'm going to be under, I think it maybe would have been more, more of an exciting question at 25. I think 26 is a little bit high. Um, I think you'd have to have Keely and Bowen stick because if they both leave, then you have to add more commitments. I don't see that necessarily happening unless more names emerge or Notre Dame gets in on more guys really quickly. And then uh, Kyle, the second question I wanted to pose was three over or under three and a half freshmen earning significant playing time. So that would be, you know, running with this, with the twos or threes, I guess, uh, getting more playing time than, you know, garbage time against Cal. Um, how many freshmen do you see getting significant playing time for Notre Dame this fall? Well, what's the over under there again? Three and a half. Three and a half. All right. Let me look at my depth chart here. Cause I know <laughs> off the, off the top of my head, um, 100% Jane Mickey is one. Um, if JD price was still here, I would absolutely put him too, but unfortunately he's going to be out for the remainder of the season, uh, with that torn Achilles, uh, quarterback, no running back. I mean, Jabron Payne, I don't think early on in the season, he's going to see a big role, but I think as things go on that he'll certainly, uh, get more opportunity. I think offensive line is pretty set tight end will be interesting with, uh, no Mitch Evans and obviously uh, Kevin Bauman and Kane Barong are both ahead of the, like Eli Raritan who won't save it this time. Um, ah, gosh. So when you say, so you said like this season in terms of the over under, right? Yeah. So I know significant is kind of a vague term, but you know, a guy that's out there quite a bit making an impact as a freshman. Yeah. I, I think I'm just going to go, with the under at this time, um, I, I think that there's a – I mean, is, is it a hot take to say this is kind of a veteran-laden Notre Dame team? I mean, both sides of the ball, it seems like they have a, a lot of strong options, some re- really good upperclassmen, and, you know, injuries and such, you know, could definitely play a role. But I am just going – I'm going to stick with the under right now. Yeah, I, I think I'm in agreement. I actually came into this podcast more prepared than Kyle with the over-unders because I helped Mason make them. But <laughs> I, I came in thinking that they were going – It was I was going to stay over. And then as you start talking, I'm like, yeah, you're right. I mean, J.D. Price was going to be a big factor for them. He's out. I don't think Jabron Payne's at the same level. And Logan Diggs looks to be ahead of schedule. So I think he's kind of fourth on the depth chart when Logan Diggs is back, obviously. And – I think that's a tough – I mean, I look at Audrey Gastemi last year. Me and Mason were both actually sitting next to each other in attendance for the Georgia Tech game, and that was the only time he ever got any playing time. So that doesn't count as significant per se because it was in garbage time, even though he looked good. But I, I agree with Mickey. Mickey, I think, isn't necessarily going to be a starter, but he's going to be right there um, as, as the fourth, I guess, corner 
um, bare minimum. And then I think you got Tobias Merriweather, um, who will play a pretty good role as a freshman as well. And that makes two. I would probably throw Eli Raritan in there because I just think he's so good right. to make three. But like you mentioned, it's without the running back. And honestly, when you look at Notre Dame's class that came in in 2022, all of their top guys, or at least in my opinion, their top guys are at positions that are filled, like what you said, with veterans. I don't think Gobira is going to play this year that much. I don't think Joshua Burnham is going to play this year that much because you have Isaiah Foskey, Justin Adamaloa, and all of these other slew of defensive linemen that are, are, are going to play. Same with a guy like, uh, like Sneed. I mean, you exactly. look at a guy like Prince Colley last year. I thought Prince Colley was going to play a pretty good role as a freshman. And they just had so many linebackers and they get back Maris Leofau and, you know, Bo Bauer and JD Bertrand and Jack Kaiser are all back. I just don't see a, a way that Sneed gets on the field in any sort of significant role outside of maybe special teams. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe you see the kicker the, or the punter. I mean, Bryce McPherson might be the starting punter. So I, mean, I was just going to, yeah. <laughs> No, I wanted to mention that. I think Bryce McPherson will probably get the nod at Ponder. Impressive so far. So if that, for you, or uh, Nathan, if that puts you over the uh, three and a half. All right, I'm marking my stamp. I'm saying over with Bryce McPherson as the punter. Good call. So you guys ruined it. I was trying to be sneaky at the end. <laughs> that was gonna, I was going to make McPherson my over, just backing my way into the over. Uh, but, yeah, I was going to say over anyways just to be fun. I think – that Payne has a chance, Raritan has a chance, Merriweather has a chance, a, a solid chance to be impactful on offense. You know, what they do on defense, you're only one injury away, maybe two injuries away, and things happen throughout the season. And then in camp, you never know what kind of freshman is going to make that huge jump, and I think that's possible. So uh, I'll back my way into the over. And the last one's kind of a joke. Uh, let's say Notre Dame goes over, uh, oh, what, three and out, right? Three and out on the first drive. Uh, Tyler Buckner, incompletion, sack, whatever, over, under, 37 and a half tweets directed at Notre Dame media members that Tyler Buckner is horrible. <laughs> well, um, I am going to definitely hammer the over there. Notre Dame fans are among the most passionate in college football. So, you know, it's funny. I, I thought about this question differently when we were talking about it. I was thinking like in fall camp, like someone like Pete Sampson's going to throw out a tweet about Buckner being good or bad or whatever, or looking good or looking bad in, in, in a practice and people are going to completely overreact to that tweet. But, I mean, man, 37 and a half is a, is a huge number. Um, I'm going to say there isn't going to be that many tweets to have that reaction. But every single tweet that there is, there will be an, an overreaction. So I'll hit the under. But with the, the caveat, I guess, that no matter how many tweets there is, there's going to be an overreaction, whether it's positive or negative. Yeah, there's gonna I mean there's gonna be an overreaction no matter what is said about Buckner, just how divisive the fan base is and people have their opinions already, confirmation bias, you know, whether anybody on the media says you know, Tyler Buckner looks good, bad, indifferent. Uh, you know, my my take or what could happen on the first drive or whatever. It there's always a shit storm on Twitter and Notre Dame's all in it. So uh, Nathan, you wanna wrap us up here? Yeah, yeah. So first of all, Kyle, thanks for thanks for joining us. Uh you're uh we're starting to get a pretty good trend here of, of some solid Notre Dame beat writers um, and, and recruiting analysts that have been on the show. We've had Tom Lowe, we've had Kevin Sinclair, we've now had Kyle, the infamous Kyle Kelly. Um, <laughs> but uh, infamous, we'll probably, I like that. We'll probably add some. We'll probably add some more on there. And uh, but no, it's it's been great. Uh, one thing I do want to mention is obviously, or actually, real quick, Kyle, go go ahead and plug your your Twitter profile 
um, and, and where people can find you. Yeah, I mean, I guess the big thing is if people want to find us, head to Inside ND Sports and go to the Insider Lounge message board. That's where we, you know, are really giving a lot of our scoop and insight into things. Um, Twitter these days for me is just pretty much a, promoting a lot of my stories and updates. But if you want to follow along there, it's at by Kyle Kelly. But I would uh, really recommend anyone that um, is listening to, I mean, if you're not a subscriber to Inside ND Sports, I understand. I wasn't really big into the, uh, the recruiting networks until I started working for one. But I've just found how much great content there is at Rivals and a lot of our competitors as well. And I'm really fortunate to work for two great Notre Dame football beat writers and Eric Hansen and Tyler James. I truly think that they are two of the Hmong and the best on the beat. And I think that they give a lot of great insight into Notre Dame football. I try to do my best with Notre Dame uh, recruiting, obviously super competitive market, but just uh, give us a shot. Take a look at uh, some of what we share on the Insider Lounge and I think you'll come away impressed. Awesome. Awesome. And obviously you can find me at Nathan underscore Erbach. You can find Mason at Mason Plumber underscore, if I have that correct. And uh, one more quick thing. It's a new thing that we, uh, my, myself and Mason found on Twitter recently. Kyle, this is probably uh, advantageous to you as well, but there's a new tip section um, on Twitter. You can add your Venmo account on there. You can add your Zelle or your, or your cash app, whatever it may be. If you like what you're hearing from us, um, you know, and, and obviously me and Mason do this mostly for fun, but you know, there is some, some time and effort that goes into bringing you guys stuff. So if you ever want to throw us a tip somewhere, um, go to our homepage, um, whether it's mine or Mason's and throw a tip on there. And, and Kyle, you should probably take advantage of it yourself. I will send any uh, revenue to the inside ND sports message board. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, guys. Well, thanks for having us. As again, this is the Golden Homers podcast. We'll talk to you this week on, on spaces and next week we'll have a new episode for you. Have a good one. Nice.